Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the Best Life. And we're on. Should we start this episode by talking about how we have a hard time setting up the technology every time? Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, so what is the best life about? Well, we usually talk about how we suck at technology to start, and then we get into the topics at hand. But the topic today is very exciting. We have, um, is this our first recurring guest? It is our first recurring guest. Uh, we've had Jade on twice. Yep. Now, oh, so, okay. So our second recurring yep. guest. So today we have a special guest. Mr. Danny Coleman. It's Woo! good to be here for the three-peat, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Third time. You don't, You only get so far in life as a good self-invite. So as long as I just keep inviting myself to be on the show, I'm looking at a quadruple next time I'm in town. No, you fill the three criteria that Danny and I have for this podcast. What are the three? Number one, are you local? Yes, you're here visiting in LA. Yep, yep. see Number the self-invite. Number two, are you cool? Yes. What was the last one? Three is, are you are our you friend? friend? Are you our oh. friend? Are you cool? Yeah. And are you local? Yes. Yeah, okay. We get people emailing us all the time. And this is for anyone listening to anyone emailing us like, hey, I want to be on your show. I'm pitching a show. So I usually ask, well, where are you? Yep. You got to be local. But then you got to be our friend. So I don't know if that means you send us gifts or you come <laughs> hang out, but you got to figure out a way to be our friend and then we're down. So local means you can't Skype in. Right. You said to be in the building. Yeah. You got to be in the building. We got to look at your face. It just a, it changes the dynamic. Person. It makes it so much better. And actually, we've gotten some feedback that that you guys have actually been enjoying the episodes more um, because they're <coughs> they've been a lot more organic. I feel like in the last like six six to nine months or, or so. Which yeah. Is awesome. Plus, we always put wine in front of our guests, and depending on how much you drink, also depends on whether you will or not you will be invited back. Oh. Good to know. But we're not going to tell you whether it's too much or too little. That's for us. Yeah, one thing I'm not concerned about is that. <laughs> That test well, be as you guys, fine. I think if you've listened to other episodes of Danny, you guys know he is uh, first and foremost my brother and part of the Jillfit Dormitory. Second of all, he's a very talented coach and an author of a book called Next Level Tribe, which we'll get into. Um, and he is uh, what I would consider an expert in everything from social skills, social intelligence, um, coaching, soft skills, relationship building, things like that. So all of his jobs, and you are 29 now, 29 yep. years old, all of your jobs for the last 10 years have revolved around relationships and building great relationships, whether it's within a corporation or whether it's personal training or whether it's coaching. Um, and so we always like getting you on to talk about what you're best at behavior change you've like so i know you won't brag but you guys this dude has like read over 300 probably books on personal development relationships over the last eight years you know the stuff man 
We got to pick your brain. Yep. Yeah. No, it's good to be here, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that stuff, right? We'll talk about like the psychology of change, yep. communication, connection. Cool. Cool. Yeah, real quick, Jill, you mentioned soft skills. Do you want to explain what soft skills I don't. are? We can we can skip that one. <laughs> okay, we'll go on. <laughs> soft skills is like, you know, when you wear lotion on your hand. So you know? I'll brag on it right for now. a second just to give you guys some context. So one of, what he does now uh, for a living is he works for a company called Metabolic Living. Yep. And he recently created their coaching program to coach other coaches on how to get people results with their fitness, with their health and fitness, right? So uh, he has a team of health coaches that he oversees and he helps them uh, become better coaches, learn how to keep their clients compliant, learning how to talk to their clients, learning what to say on the phone, Mm -hmm. how to build trust with their clients, which those are what I consider to be soft skills, right? Hard skills would be like knowing the biochemistry, knowing the physiology, not that you don't know that stuff, but what I think you're you're the best at is, is connection and helping people communicate in a way that makes their client maybe feel safe, feel taken care of, uh, willing to go to be vulnerable with their coach, which we know, like when, when you're in a coaching situation, you need yep. your clients to be honest with you. And oftentimes clients will feel shame or embarrassment or whatever. They won't disclose what's really going on. But if you have a great coach, number one, you're going to want to keep coming back to that coach, right? right? And so if you keep showing up, you're going to get better results. Yep. And so what are some of the things that you're building into this program to help people? Yeah, it's a good question. And you're exactly right. Most most of what we see, like with the online space, a lot of people come from the personal training world, and the skills don't exactly translate to over-the-phone health coaching or even video health coaching. It's, it is a completely different dynamic and not a completely different skill set, but, but slightly different. So like when you're in the gym, you get to use your whole body and body language. You get to demonstrate and things like that. On the phone, you really need to build trust quickly. And so that's what uh, Jade, uh, Dr. Jade Tita and I building out this program, we are like, all right, the number one theme in this program is connection-based coaching. And the reason why is when we get clients on the phone, we need to first be able to build a relationship because otherwise people aren't going to trust you and they're not going to share things with you, right? And that's the only way you can help them. If they don't tell you what they eat because they're embarrassed or you'll judge them or they're ashamed or, or whatever it might be, then you can't help them. So first and foremost, like we spend the whole kickoff call teaching how to build rapport. Basically, we have a script where our coaches are supposed to say, uh, where do you live? What's some fun things to do around there? Tell me about your family. How many siblings do you have? Where do you like to take vacation? So nothing to do with health and fitness. And then, but that it's, it's a stepping stone into, okay, now once we start talking about your food journal, people are more likely to over the phone go, you know, I slipped up. You know, here's why, here's what happened, here's some of the obstacles I'm dealing with, and then you can really start to dissect some of that stuff. So it has been a dream job for me because actually as a personal trainer, I was one of the worst in the gym at the biochemistry stuff, but I was the best with client retention. Uh, And if clients stay around, they're going to get results eventually, right? So, um, yeah, it's sort of a dream position for me right now. That's so weird because we never think like, okay, I'm going to be like learning how to be a coach and I have to ask people like about their family life. Like I've never heard that before. That's why, you know, I love that you're doing that because it's these things that you think people do naturally, but what you're saying is that you don't think that they do or they don't. I think they're just too focused on the nuts and bolts of health and fitness, which makes sense, right? All right, let's dive into your food log. All right, let's talk about your exercise regimen, but... Our theory, anyway, in building out this program was trust first. 
So you have to be transparent with your client. Say, hey, yeah, I struggle with that too. Or I have another client who goes through the exact same scenario. So being able to connect, we just believe, is the first step, specifically when it comes to this new coaching space that everybody's getting into over the phone, over video chat. It's all very different. I really love this. Like, uh, you know, I can relate to the keeping clients with you, like the retention. I remember uh, when I was training, there was a guy in the gym who was so much smarter than me. He would just, I remember watching him train his clients and he would come up behind him and he goes, okay, squeeze your latissimus dorsi. And he'd like (laughs) hold and he would just talk about the muscles, like the quadriceps. And I'm just like, oh my God, why is he saying that? And then I remember him coming to me and he goes, hey, how do you have so many clients? Because I was so busy. And I was just like, well, they don't care about the names of the muscles. They just want to know like, how do I lose this, you know, belly fat or how do I get rid of this stuff? And what I was doing, which I didn't realize was making those connections with them. We talked about their families. Like my clients were my, were my friends and family. And so I knew everything about their marriages. I knew everything about their um, kids, but to me that came naturally. And I think like to Jill's point, like, I think for some people where it maybe does come naturally, we're going, okay, does someone actually have to be taught that? Mm -hmm. So can, if you're just reading a script, do you feel like people on the other end can tell that it's a script and it's not genuine? Or can you train someone to like, to where it starts to come naturally for them? That's a good question. And I don't know. I really don't. I, so for example, uh, the book that actually I just recorded the audio book this week. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Going to be on audible. It's all about social skills and connection. And I think the wine's hitting in because I totally forgot your question. Where oh, I was going so with I that. said, can you authentic? A shameless, yeah. shameless plug. No, can, can you teach somebody to have something become, okay, come more you. naturally? All right, so in my chapters of the book, I kind of went off on scripts mm-hmm. uh, because in a social, so we taught like more frameworks. Like a good framework is to be present. If you're present, you're going to be more engaged. You're going to be a better listener. And then therefore people will see you as having good social skills, right? So I've always been very resistant to scripts, but until I was dumped in this new coaching role, people do need at least a starting point to work off Mm -hmm. of. So I've sort of changed my answer. And I do think that it takes practice. Like you're going to get on every single call that my coaches have got on with the script. They've all said the script has been tremendously helpful but you can tell it's a little choppy, and maybe it's just because I know that they're working off a script. But my my intuition says that the client probably picks up that there's a little something's off here. But if they don't know they're working off a script. They might just be like, "Oh, we're we're getting to know each other." I don't even know that it's conscious for the client. So I sort of changed my tune on scripts, at least as a learning tool. They can't be word for word, sure. right? You do have to. We do have to teach the framework still of active listening, all that stuff that you guys know, but. Uh, I do think that scripts can be a good tool at least to get started. Or even in like, I used to, in my early 20s, you'd come across stuff like um, guys who are trying to meet girls out at the bars, right? And they get scripts. And the scripts help them actually talk to the girl, which is the hardest part. Saying hello is the hardest part. Yep. So they felt like, oh my God, I'm going to get up there, I'm going to say hello, and then I'm going to freeze, and then my armpits are going to sweat, and then I'm going to run away. And that's going to be super embarrassing. But Everybody was teaching these these uh, scripts, go this, say this. And yeah, they came off a little odd and funky, but they, they already got over the hardest step, which is yeah. talking. And I think Jill says a lot, of, a lot of the people that you work with, they worry about what they're going to say on a call. Like that's one of the bigger worries that yeah, comes so up, Yeah, so I right? work with, as you guys know, I work with a lot of um, 
the professionals. And that is one of the hardest things is like they get all the nuts and bolts. People have a whole laundry list of certifications and, and credentials, but sometimes they'll say like, oh, this is my first coaching client. I'm so nervous. So mm-hmm. they have so much book knowledge, but they like, they're literally like, what do I, how do I start them? Yeah. You know, and it's not intuitive. I think, I don't know. It, it kind of was for me, but I, I think back on my very first, and I think, I think back on my very first online client, and this is such a funny story, and I tell it to my girls all the time to remind them that your client also doesn't know what the fuck is supposed to happen <laughs> so on a true. call, mm-hmm. right? So I think sometimes we think like, oh my God, they're waiting to see like chinks in the armor. They really aren't trying to poke holes. They don't know what coaching is supposed to look like. So even though, you know, these coaches are just learning how to be, how to form rapport, the client doesn't know what it's supposed to look like either. So I remember I had this client and she was a local woman in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, but she just wanted a workout program to do at home. So I remember for like two weeks before the appointment we were going to meet, I was going to show her the movements and then she was going to go and do the workout on her own. And she's an older lady. And I remember like printing out all these pages of movements and like having all this stuff and being so nervous, like, oh my God, like what if it doesn't work? And she thinks I'm a fraud and like all this kind of stuff, right? So I remember meeting with her and I had all these printed out pieces of paper and I was going through them and stuff and I was showing her the movements. At the end of it, she just goes, thanks, Jill. That's great. I fucking <laughs> left. And I was like, that was it? Like I was waiting for this big like, what I was waiting this? for her to have a big problem with me. Right. Somehow. Like I was waiting for there to be like a big issue. And she was just like, okay, sounds great. So I think we have to remember that like, especially when you're just getting started, like the client doesn't know what's supposed to happen either. But to your point, sometimes we don't know that the relationship is off until the client disappears. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is when it comes to coaching, if you, like, for example, in your coaching program, it's a 12 week coaching mm-hmm. program. How do you prevent clients from, from just disappearing? Cause this is a big problem that we see in the health and fitness space is clients. When they sign up, they have the best intentions. They're so fired up. Research has actually shown that people are more excited to start a diet than they are to actually do the, the, the thing, mm-hmm. which makes sense, right? They go to the grocery store, they get all the stuff, they get super, it feels really organized, feels really prepared, but something happens like, you know, a month in, six weeks in, eight weeks in, why do clients fall off? And then how can we as coaches prevent that? Yeah. And some of this is going to be experiments. So we're launching the program right now. We're going to have clients in there and everything is laid out in theory. Uh, but you know, theory doesn't match up with reality. So you're going to get there and we're going to find We're going to learn a lot, uh, over the, this first group going through this first level of coaching What's your best that we guess? have. Um, first of all, I think you need to frame the expectation that you're not going to have hundred percent retention, Like the people just get busy. Things come up in their lives. Uh, but for client accountability, really, I think it's, it's touch points. So what we're trying to do is increase touch points. So like, it's, I find that the less time I've spent like in my health coaching calls, the clients who meet with me once a month fall off much, much, much more than the clients that meet me once a week. So we're, our goal is one, if you be connection based coach, right? So if you have the skill sets, you know, how to build rapport, trust all those things. We think that's the starting block, but then let's increase the touch points. So they're meeting with their coach face to face every week. They have chat interaction. So that that's our theory and we'll, but we'll be back next month on the Best Life Podcast. I'll let you know how it works out. But I mean, what do you guys think? Mean, you guys have had just as many clients. Well, and- it's, it's interesting you said that because I just changed my coaching and I just pulled up my coaching contract for 2020. I had some people at the end of the year and just I've coached for years. And I agree with you. I actually changed my mod, uh, the way that I work with people now to touch base weekly, where it used to be twice a week, uh, twice a month. Um, 
And it's shorter amount of time, but it's like, okay, same time every single week. So like I talk to you every single Tuesday and we, we catch up and just make sure we're on track. And I just, I feel like for myself personally, even when I've been in counseling or working with somebody, when I know, like when I had a personal, when I was working with a trainer for my competitions and I had to do weekly check-ins, I would definitely stick to my meal plan way more because I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to send pictures to my coach in like five days. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I stayed on it more. So I think the touch points really is a big one. Um, you know, I've been having this, uh, not argument, but debate with uh, my boyfriend recently about why people hire a coach. And for me, and I think Jill too, we've talked about like not necessarily hiring for accountability. I feel, feel like I'd hire a coach for clarity, for direction, maybe for strategy, and then accountability. So I actually put a post on my uh, IG story asking what people really would hire a coach for. And Unfortunately, like I was wrong in the argument, the majority did say accountability. And so I think that's part of it too, is just keeping people accountable to what they say they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And I think that just goes hand in hand with having those touch points more often. But yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I, I agree. And I think the other thing we've been teaching a lot lately too, is like anything you teach, you need to tie it back to what they care about. So mm -hmm. at my time in the marketing world, working for a small marketing agency, shout out conscious copy one time for the people. And, uh, the lesson that I was like taught over and over to all the copywriters was always tell them why they should care, right? What's in it for them. And as coaches, we need to do the same thing. So a lot of my coaches will go off and start teaching because it's exciting to them. And they're like, this will, this will definitely help you. But what we're missing is we have to tie it back to why they care. So we have to tie it back to their aunt Susan and how this fits into that story. And we have to tie it back to, I know this is a little high level over here, but this is exactly the formula for that stubborn belly fat you keep talking about. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what we need to, so you've, uh, lose those extra 10 pounds so you can fit in the bikini when you go to Greece. So always referring it back because it does two things. One, they actually do start to care because they go, oh, this is moving me towards my goal. So they're more likely to take action uh, in my experience. And two, I don't know what two is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the accountability thing is interesting because I think Danny and I are similar in that is that we don't typically need accountability. Like I'm always looking for strategy and I think that it's rare. I think most people do need accountability, which goes to something else we wanted to touch on today, which is the idea of behavioral incongruence. So that's a long term basically. Uh, and the only reason it's like in psychology papers, but it means it's very simple. It's like the th the person you want to become is not in line with the actions you take on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all easy for us to, and you know, obviously it's, we just had the, the beginning of the year. Most people have some sort of goal for 2020 and it's really easy to set it and forget it, right? It's really easy to be like this year, I'm going to do this thing. And I hear from this all the time. I'm going to write a book this year. I'm going to um, build my online business. I want to get 20 clients. I want to do all those things. And this is what I constantly tell my clients is like, cool. What, what daily actions does that look like? And so for accountability, that's big, right? So you can keep your client on task with like, okay, you said that in the next three months you want to lose 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. What is someone who needs to lose 15 pounds or wants to lose 15 pounds do on a daily basis? What does that look like? What does it actually look like? And then lowering the barrier to entry for them to actually do it, right? So if I get a laundry list of shit I need to do every single day or every single week even, I'm probably going to check out. Mm -hmm. It's like it's too big. Right. So how do you help your clients implement or how do you help your coaches help their clients implement 
piecemeal because this is this is about habit change right so like getting on the phone with you as a coach once a week is a habit right now it's a habit now I look forward to it now it's part of my routine sure. but it wasn't at first right and actually I would love to just like discuss this as a group because this is something that you and I talked about the other day Jill and I were walking on the beach and this is this is stuff that I deal with myself right so something like health and fitness for me has been has been fairly easy I I pretty I know I follow 80% of my life is, is tight and the other 20% I'm loose with, but I get the main principles, right? I lift heavy. I eat well 80% of the time. I, I have these principles that I follow and it just always came, whether it came naturally to me or I just gravitate toward, towards it or my environment, right? Growing up in our family, our family's pretty healthy and active. I don't know. But then I have this other area of my life in business that comes to comes easy to a lot of people that has never come easy to me. I have that same exact excitement. And I lay out a plan. This is my business plan. And this is the name. Mm -hmm. And in five years, I'm going to be doing this. The vision is clear. I'm excited. Yet I don't do shit. Yeah, on the day-to-day. Day-to-day, I do not. don't do the things. Yeah, it's so easy to go, uh, I'll do it tomorrow. Yep. I will write that article tomorrow. I, I don't do, know what it is. I do the same. I think we all have probably a piece, right? Oh, like yeah. some people, their money is really good and then they can't get the body part or, right. you know, vice versa. Relationships. Or relationships. Some people yeah, just like, do not, cannot win in relationships. Totally. Period. I really think, and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I think there's got to be some kind of subconscious fear of success in that area. So maybe like if mm. it is body weight for you and losing weight, and you you keep not doing it. Like, is there a fear that if you lose 20 pounds, now you have to keep it off and now you have to maintain that? Or like, if you create this business, now you have more responsibility or something. I, I just feel like there's probably something like that that just keeps undermining. It's like a subconscious belief that is undermining what you're trying to do. And I don't know how you necessarily find that belief and clear it or get rid of it, but I, I really think it's gotta be something that subconsciously blocking you from taking the step forward because you know you really want it it's like people want right. to stop smoking and they know that it's terrible and they and they keep doing it. it's like ah why am I putting the cigarette in my face but I think there is sometimes a fear of losing uh losing something or mm-hmm. like potentially keeping up like keeping that success up keeping up with how you people perceive you and that feels so overwhelming that you just don't even take the first step I just think you nailed it. That's what Jill and I were talking about the other day. I was like, I, I think it's, so for me, like, I think there's an identity thing, mm-hmm. right? So like in order to assume this new identity and this, this is actually is in the habit change research. I know James Clear writes about this in his book, Atomic Habits. Todd Herman writes about it in his book that their, their center of change is identity. And their theory goes, uh, start to do things that you start to see yourself as that new identity. Mm. So that's a lot of words. But basically, if you want to be healthy and fit, do things that healthy and fit people do. Take a walk every single day. It's but to small. Danny's point, you might lose something, right? So maybe let's just say you want to get you healthy and fit. You will lose something. You lose your old identity. But yeah. your identity is I kick back on the weekends. I eat whatever I want. I go you know, to the bar with my boys. I eat a whole pizza. Like I enjoy that. And so I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find a sense of like relaxation or joy or fulfillment so is it is it as easy as instant gratification versus long road reward like i want i would rather go to brunch today and have a couple cocktails yeah and chill with my friends than 
Yeah, well, Bert, write an email nurturing sequence for my business. <laughs> well, I right. just I just listened to a Brendan Burchard park podcast uh podcast podcasts. <laughs> podcast the other day and he said that usually there's three types of pain that we're trying to avoid so there's the pa- loss pain pain of loss so like what you just said like maybe you're going to lose out on going out to fun things because you can't eat with friends anymore or whatever like something you're going to something you're going to lose so you don't do it because you have fear of loss the second is process pain so like mm actually doing the thing might be hard, right? Like starting the business, like, you know, like you're already thinking about, shoot, I have this tech stuff. I have to like, for me, that's it. Like every time I think about some tech shit, I freak out and then I don't do it, even though I need to get to the next, like I need to do that to get to the next step. So maybe it is like, I know I need exercise to lose weight, but gosh, it's going to be hard. I'm going to be sweaty. Like I'm going to breathe really heavy. It doesn't feel good. So like already the process keeps you from doing it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the outcome pain. So it's like mm. the what if, and this is more the what if, what if I do all that stuff and, still, and then I still don't feel better. I still am not successful. Like what if I go through all of that, I do the whole business and it fails, or I go to the gym and I eat all the stuff that I don't want to eat and I still am overweight. So those three things I think are really some of those three fears that keep people from doing what they say they want to do. And that like really clicked for me the other day because I was like, wow, this, those are big. And then once you figure that out, then sometimes when you just, like Jill and I talked about the other day, sometimes when you just say it out loud, it doesn't say, you're like, oh, that's kind of, that sounds kind of dumb. Like when I say it out loud, but in your head, you just build it up. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I say out loud, I'm afraid to do this whole business because I'm afraid to like, you know, click on something wrong and start over. Like who cares? Just you can learn some tech stuff or you can hire somebody to do it or, you know, okay, 20 minute workout. Like you can handle that. Start small, you know? So I think that any one of these three things can be that one thing that is really just subconsciously keeping us from going forward. Brendan is so good. Um, I think the outcome pain is oftentimes what I deal with the most of the clients because Mm -hmm. Building an online business is not fucking fun in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You're going to post some shit on social media that you spent hours crafting and you're going to get four likes. And, and you're going to let, and gonna you're, be so grandma. I always say to the girls, like your effort in the beginning is not going to be commensurate with the outcome. Like you're going to put so much effort in and it's not going to be in line with the outcome that you're getting. And you're gonna be like, why would I even do this? Mm-hmm. But the good news is on the other side of things, it's the opposite. So you do reach a threshold where you kind of push this boulder over the hill. And now all of a sudden you start to get more yeah. opportunities, more love, yeah. more trust with less effort than you ever had to, but you have to get there. Right. Same thing with, with losing weight, right? Like you yep. get to your point, like, and this is kind of fucked up, but the leaner you get, the easier to stay lean. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So it's like, ah, so you have to get there. Yep. So it's like, why yeah. even bother? And there are, bother? there are times I remember training clients where they just were coming, working out, they're eating everything right. And we do their measurements and they haven't lost anything. And it's like, it's so defeating and frustrating. So they just want to give up, but we have these plateaus. And I really think it's just a way for, I don't know if it's like, I don't really believe the universe is testing us to see how bad we want it, but I like try to tell myself that or try to tell clients that just to make them, like, let's just keep going. Cause I know that we have plateaus in everything. And once you get past it, like Jill said, it just starts to move faster. But that outcome pain is sucky. Like you think you got to go through all of this stuff and you still end up the same, or you, you don't end up with what you thought you were going to have. You just don't even want to begin. So what does he say to detach from that? Or is, is there anything you can do? So he said, I don't remember too well, and I should listen to it again. Um, I just remember him saying that recognizing it, like first being able to recognize it, just makes it 
makes it almost like, I don't want to say laughable, but once you recognize what it is, then you can go, oh, it's just that. Like, it's a little fear. I love that. And like, it reminds me of the the fear of success, like you mentioned. Like, oh my God, what if I do build the business? And now all of a sudden I'm in charge of like, this is a big one for me. Is like, if I get to the point where I'm I'm like really successful, that means I have to take on a 10 person team. Mm -hmm. And now I'm on the hook for the livelihood of 10 families and payroll. And I don't know that I can, I want that responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. But when you say it out loud, it's like, I don't want to make a million dollars because the responsibility It's like, okay, yeah. no, actually yeah. I do want to make a million dollars. Fine. Like I'll figure yeah. it out. Right. Totally. So when you say it out loud, I think it does kind of like just dissipate yep. like the, the anxiety that is in your head. It's so yep. funny. Yeah. I think I, I don't know which of the three pains that I have, but I remember telling uh, my lady Kels, when we were living in LA, um, I was super stressed about money and I was basically just living off my American express and you Jill would invite us out to like drinks and dinner and I could not afford drinks and dinner. So, uh, but I would go and then wake up the next day stressed. Like, gosh, I could not, I couldn't afford that. Why did I do that? Beat myself up. Right. And then when Kels goes, well, you know, why do you keep doing it then? And the problem is that it's one of my favorite things to do. Going to get drinks and dinner with you guys, like my, one of my favorite things to do when I was in LA. Yep. So maybe that is the instant gratification thing, but that's that's the thing with health too, right? Some people's favorite part of their day is when they get to sit in silence at the end of the day with two beers and a slice of pizza. And it brings them genuine happiness in their day. They look forward to it. They like it. That's, that's their day sweet spot. So to your point about the short-term instant gratification and maybe it does just come down to like as simple as those rah-rah motivational things you have to want it more type (laughs) things you know or is it just finding something that is healthier that also satisfies you enough you know what I mean? Because yes. like, so that's the thing. I'm going to have uh, half a pizza and two beers. I'm going to wake up the next morning and have kind of what you had, but with the finances. Oh my God, I can't believe I had that pizza again. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I ate, drank those. I told myself I wasn't drinking this week. Right. right. So it's the same thing, just different outfit. Exactly. So what is the solution? Don't want things. <laughs> just don't want anything. Don't want to be better ever. Don't want to change your You know, life. I liked what Zoe said. So we had Zoe Lee on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and she was just like, you have to find a replacement that feels just as good, if not better, than what you're currently doing. So maybe for like, so instead of a pizza and two beers, what would, I don't know, what would be. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a small steps guys. Like I like, I like the book teeny habits and the, the whole premise is like set the most minuscule goal possible and do it every single day. So don't be like, I want to do a hundred pushups. Your goal is one push up from the knees every, every single day. And what that. you find is some days you're like, oh, you're in bed. And you're like, oh, shit, I forgot to do my push-up. You get down, you do your one push-up, you go back, you lay back down, right? But some days you're like, all right, I'm going to get my push-up in this morning. You wake up, hop out of bed, and all of a sudden you do 10 push-ups, right? So it's momentum. The hardest part, again, is just getting started. So for the pizza example, I think it's – can you just have one beer and pizza? Like literally just start there. That's a win. Yeah. And then do it every single day. You know, I talk with my brother – our brother Connor a lot and every our thing to each other he lives with me down in Austin and our thing is just like do just a little bit better today like just be a little bit better in one like get one win so like one win don't hit the snooze button one win uh don't eat a hot dog flower yeah one win (laughs) 
No, fuck? just like Maybe one. Maybe Danny J won't have. Because every day we're in these, we have Danny these J. moments where we're going. <laughs> yeah. We have, yeah. Don't hit. I'll only hit the snooze button five times. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, it takes her. You hit the snooze button for an hour and a half every morning. Yeah. So maybe just an hour we, 15. Hour we 15, just, seriously? before we walked up here to record, just had a conversation in the car about that. Jeff's like, could you just take your alarm and like put it for an hour later instead of every nine minutes. And I was like, no, because I need that every nine minutes to wake up. It's a process, but I do need to figure it out. But I said, I said, everyone who's ever slept in the same room with me, I drive them crazy, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about it. I sleep so hard, but I love the tiny steps thing. Um, I've actually been doing this myself where you know, I've been traveling a lot and all of November couldn't work out at all, was trapped in snow in Wyoming and no gym membership. And so I've just been trying to get back in habit because I know when I go back, I want to go hard and I'm so sore and then, and then I can't go for a couple days. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for consistency. So even if I just go in and I walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes and I leave, I put a, st- and I've been putting stickers on my calendar. I like put a sticker cause I want to see that I get it done and it helps me visually, but also I'm just, I'm just trying to get a streak right now. I'm not worried about like actually getting like really, um, really good workouts in or lifting heavy or anything. I'm just trying to get a streak of consistency because I know that once I am consistent and I'm back in that habit, then I'll feel really good and I'll start doing more. So I really like that tiny habit. Have you thing. heard of the, the Jerry Seinfeld parable thing, the red X thing? The red X. Yeah. I heard of this. You haven't heard no. of it? It's cool. So the, st- the story goes anyway, that a young comedian walked up Jerry Seinfeld like, Jerry, I'm going to be the next comedian. And the guy went on to be a successful comedian. I forget his name right now, but he goes, what, what do I do to become as successful as you or be a successful comedian? And Jerry goes, all right, here's what you do. You get one of those big printout wall calendars. You put it right where you, wherever you are every day, your kitchen, your office, wherever you are, put the big calendar up. And then you write one joke a day. So you wake up on Monday, write one joke, and then go over to that calendar and put a big red X on the day after you uh, write your joke. And then do the same thing on Tuesday and then Wednesday. And then he goes, your only job from that point on, don't break the chain is, is the theory. So like basically it's the tiny habits. You do something just small, doable enough every single day. Uh, and then it builds. It's momentum. It's like your book, The Slight yeah. Edge. Yeah, Slight Edge. I'm so visual too. I like that. Like I like the Red X. I like putting stickers on my calendars. Um, I have been not drinking coffee now for like 44 days. I started doing this because I took a Viome test, which is like this gut bacteria thing. Said not to. So I've been really trying to do this. And at the very beginning, and I didn't know how long. It said to go for 90 days. And I was like, that is a quarter of the year. That is way too long to not drink coffee. But I'm just not going to drink it today. And every single day I'm like, I'm not going to drink it today. And it is literally, I can't, I remember Jeff asked me like, oh, how long are you going to go for? I'm like, don't ask me how long I'm going to go for because today might be the day I freaking drink it. But I'm literally just taking it day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely plan to go back to it. And I almost did it this morning. Um, but it is like one day at a time. It really is just a small habit. And sometimes it is just deciding that day and going, I'm just going to try this today. And then tomorrow is a new day and I may change my mind. But then like, once you get that streak and that's, I think my only motivation right now is that I've had this streak and now I don't want to break it. And it's it's literally it. It's funny. I love that because it's like, but you have to get to that point where you have a streak, right? Yes. I think that tiny habits have a marketing problem. I think we just don't like that shit. So how does your, how do your coaches or how do we as coaches get people excited to start small one push up? Especially when maybe they can we do need 10, to, maybe. Maybe we need to sell the streaks. 
You know, they do this, um, apps are really good at this and they gamify stuff, right? So I think, I think if we can put more things into apps, like there is a headspace, I want to say, and some of these other meditation apps, Mm -hmm. one that I use, I think it's called breathe and it gives you like little stickers and things. If you do it for five days straight and you like earn a sticker. And then if you do it for however many hours and you earn a sticker. And so I really think that technology can help us with these things where if we have apps or we have things that where you're, you're like getting, you're getting streaks and there's like straw, like fitness apps, fitness pal, my fitness pal and things like that, where they make competition with friends or you have these winning streaks and you get these little wins. I think that helps. It's just a little psychological win, but I don't know if that just helps people like me who are competitive or if it helps everyone. But I I feel like in some way that is a way to make tiny things uh, work. Yeah, like if you can get a streak of three or f- three days or five days, you're like, okay, I'm on a roll. Or if you get a little sticker because you did five days in a row, you're like, ooh, I wonder what happens when I get 10. Yeah. And also coaching is, is a personality thing. Like mm-hmm. stickers don't turn me on, but they, they <laughs> seem to get Danny J all fired up. Right. <laughs> so like to your point, Jill, yeah, tiny habits aren't, you're going to get a client that is going to be like, are you fucking serious? You want me one less slice of pizza? I'm eating, I'm eating 10 slices. You want me nine slices? Are you kidding me? There are clients like that. They're intense. I like those are my favorite kind of clients. Like, all right, let's go then. Like, let's lay out. Let's lay out the big dogs. Let, let's go. Let's go. Here's the plan. Two what if they're tea. like, Danny? You know what? I'm so sick of eating pizza. I'm just gonna eat none. You're just gonna what? I'm just not gonna have any. I say let's rock with that. Really? I do. Try it. Why wouldn't you try it? Well, so we'll tell the story. I think he's probably gonna be listening. But our dad, I always remember. So dad is super active always super active, athlete, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he, I remember he would play basketball for hours and hours and hours. We were growing up and whatever, and just hugely positive influence on us. But I remember like he'd go for a time and like kind of be off fitness, whether he was doing something, maybe he was traveling or working more or whatever. And then whenever he came back, he'd be like, all right, two days, back on two days. And he would always do two and he would lose like, you know, some weight or whatever. But I remember when he, as he was getting older and I was personal training him, I personal trained him for a couple of years and he lived in Winston and he would always be like back on two a days. And I'd be like, how about going from nothing to six days a week, sometimes twice a day. And then it wasn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. Get overwhelmed to get, you know, uh, sore or whatever. Right. And I remember just being like, how about we just do, how about you and I just meet twice a week? And so it's like, so if someone's like, I'm just so sick of pizza, I've eaten so much pizza, I don't want any pizza, would you still encourage them to do nine instead of 10 slices? Or would you just be like, if you're ready, let's go? Well, my point is a little bit different because I'm going, let's say it's a new client, I ate 10 slices of pizza, and they're like, I'm going zero slices. Me, I'm like, all right, let's give it a week. Zero slices. Let's see how it goes. Because what you're talking about with dad, he goes, I'm going to hit the two a days. And then he had a pattern of burning out. So now you go, okay, that didn't work. Let's go back to the drawing board. That's Mm -hmm. part of it as a coach is taking it client by client situation by situation. But if a client is, and and by the way, that's the best way to coach. When a client comes up with an idea, you lock onto that because it's their idea, right? So our ideas were more likely to take action on and ownership of. So if a client comes to me and goes, Danny, I'm going to go. The problem is when they go, I'm going to go no slice of pizza and I'm going to work out seven days this week and this and that and that. So then I would say, all right, the biggest thing right now is the pizza. I said, all that stuff is great. But the, if you go from 10 slices to zero, that's huge, man. That's a huge, huge win. So that's, that's it. And I'll cut them. I'll cut off the other goals and I'll be a little more, yep. I'll be a little more rigid. Like, all right, let's go zero pizza for the next week. They collapse and burn. Okay. Let's try half. Then I'll, re, then I'll revert back to, all right, how about just half the pie? I like that, that it's just individualized. Like yeah. some people, 
you know, how'd you quit smoking? I just quit cold turkey, never went back, never touched a cigarette, didn't think of it. Some people are like, I chewed the gum for a while. I kept sticks in my hands. It took, mm-hmm. you know, gradual. Uh, I cut back from a pack a day to half a pack a day. So I think there really is no one way. And I love that you said that, you know, if they have an idea, go with it, let's try it. Because then all you're doing is getting feedback and you're getting right. information. So like, cool, were you craving pizza this week? How did you feel? And they're like, no, I'm good. Okay, cool, let's let's do another Next week. Step. Let's see how it goes. Okay, you have a party coming up. What's the plan before the party? Maybe why don't you just have two slices at the party and then we can just get back on the streak and not worry about it. It's not all or nothing, let's go. And I, I really love that. I think it's really just like working with the person and seeing what, what does their psychology need and how can you help them get the best results without overwhelming them? And back to soft skills, right? Like there's a subtlety to picking up on that stuff. There is. And the, so that is a question. Like, so one of the questions I always have about online businesses, can you teach someone to be charismatic? Is that, or you just got it or you don't got it with coaching. Can you teach someone how to be accessible, approachable, non-judgmental? right? You and I had a conversation a couple days ago because I was asking you like why you were so successful as a personal trainer yourself and as a health coach. And you said one of the things was creating a non-judgmental environment. How can coaches or people even, because Danny and I, get, we get messages all the time at, at The Best Life from people being like, I wish that I had people, friends that I could talk to, girlfriends who wouldn't judge me. I feel judged all the time by everyone in my life. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That is, it's so hard because I think as humans, we're just, we are judgmental creatures. I think, I mean, that's what kept us alive in the old open plains days, right? Like judging situations, people, characters, things we see in the distance, right? So I think it is to a degree part of our nature. So don't judge yourself for judging, but to, I think it was Danny's point of if you can become aware that you are judging and even better yet in the moment, that, that to me is a huge win. So if I can get my coaches re- reflecting back on their calls and going, you know what, I just thought Bob was just flat out wrong. And I felt that. I felt it about halfway through. That's a huge, that's a huge win because now we, now we can go somewhere. The problem uh, is with the coaches that, don't, that can't see that they're being judgmental or catch themselves yeah. in the moment or even, even reflect back on the call and go, you know what, I was probably a little harsh on Susie or I was probably a little too close-minded to uh, something that she may have wanted to explore a little bit. So it is hard. It, it's just so hard, man. Soft skills are hard to develop over time, but I do think that anybody can develop charisma with if they're will, if they're willing to have a little bit more open mind and go, you know what, I'm not, I don't have good charisma. I think that's the hardest part. You cannot yeah. teach people who think they got it, right? <laughs> who don't? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. I mean? So it's like a self, it's like almost like self awareness first. Yeah, I think so. And how would they know if they're being judgmental? What are some cues? I well, this is me, and I know I'm sure you, Danny, have some comments as well, and I I know you do as well, Joe. But for me, uh, it's it's my emotion. My emotions are are like signposts, right? So if I'm on a call and I get a hit of like frustration or even like borderline anger or, or if there's like a lot of, um, resistance with the client and I'm trying to continue to push something, Mm. I, I feel, I get an emotional hit. Like this, something's not working. It feels like a round peg in a square hole, square, square peg, round hole. Yep. Yep. One of them. Wrong shape peg, wrong shape hole. Yes, that's me, but I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, it's interesting when we're coaching people, how much our own personal biases can Mm. come out. And, um, I was talking to you yesterday about a client I have right now who's struggling with, um, 
her boyfriend and just relationship stuff and is a business client, but the relationship is coming up so much that it's, it's like, we have to deal with this before we get to the business. And, um, you know, she mentioned that he had been an addict and, and she had told me about her struggles with him. And the addict part didn't even come into my mind, honestly. It was like, she's just telling me what is happening here and now. And so I kind of put the here and now in a box. And she kind of freaked out about me saying, I I didn't say they needed to break up. I just told her like, here's what I'm hearing from you. Maybe you need some space. And she's like, well, everyone says I should break up with him because he's an addict. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say that. And I don't even know the guy, first of all. Um, And I believe you that if he say he used to be an addict and he's sober, then I believe you. And I think there could be, I could see an old part of me being like, well, you you know, an addict's always an addict and you need to get out of there. Like we have our own biases and our own ideas about people. And so when people come to us with personal problems like that, we can find ourselves like creating a judgment about the situation. And yeah. And so I think it's important to just step back and go, this isn't my life. And I don't know the whole story, right? Like we only know what they tell us. So we have to, and I just remember stepping back and going, I don't know the whole story. I know you really adore this person and there's a lot of, um, a lot of pieces, but I'm just reflecting back what you're telling me. I'm like, I don't know him. I don't know his side of the story. I can only hear what you're telling me. And here's what I would see. And I said, and ultimately this is all up to you. Like here's scenario one, here's scenario two. And I think we ultimately need to remember our clients make their own decisions. They're living their own life. So we can really only just reflect back to them what they're telling us Mm -hmm. and maybe in a way just that they don't see themselves. I think I would hire a coach to look at for my blind spots, right? Like Mm -hmm. I want to see what I might be missing. And sometimes we're saying things and we're, we, it's like, we're just all in our own heads and the person could stand back and go, okay, well, here's what I'm seeing and here's what you're saying. And these two aren't matching up. And then you can go, oh, okay. Now I have better, I can have a better awareness to make a decision. Like now that you've told me what you're seeing and what I'm saying, like, yeah, you're right. Or you're not right. And so I think it's really important that we are mostly not giving them advice or telling them what to do is we're reflecting back what they're saying and we're giving them options so that they can make the best decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. Cause it is not my job as a coach to tell you to break up with your partner no. or to, um, you but know, I that think you need to do this easier. Like, let's just say you used to be in a relationship with an addict. Yeah. Right. And like, you might immediately get that hit of like, this is a previous version of me. Oh my God. I wish that I, I wish waste yeah. five years of my life dealing with this bullshit so I want to get, the, so you do, you feel like this totally. emotional, like you said, like this emotional pull yes. to like get them to do the thing because you know what's going on with them and you can see it so clearly and they can't see it. And like, yeah. you feel ownership over that. Yes. You know, what's interesting is I, I, like a lot of the message that we get about even just people having friends that they don't, that they feel judged with. I, I think for me, I used to be a lot more judgmental than I am now. I think one of the, the things that helped me become not as much, not as judgmental is like just being more comfortable with my own flaws, Mm -hmm. you know, and like in my own kind of sensitivities around, especially around like if someone had told me, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years ago that they were in a relationship where the husband cheated, I would have been like, I would have immediately judged the woman. Like, what was she doing wrong? Like Mm -hmm. I would have just been like, oh, she must've been like a bad wife. And like, I would have had so many judgments about infidelity because it never happened to me. And then when it did, I was like, oh, like I see all the angles now. I have the experience. Oh, I fucking totally get this. This doesn't have to be like this really scary thing that happened to somebody. It's like, oh, totally. Like fucking everyone's been in a relationship where someone cheated. Like it's kind of just regular and it's much more acceptable to talk about it because I'm not hung up in my own sensitivities around it. Yep. So it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Like even to that point, it's like if we, 
if we were a coach and we had, we had ourselves come to us say, oh, okay, my husband just cheated. Like my old self would have been like, well, just leave the guy, you know? And now, and, and knowing better and trying not to judge is going, okay, tell me more about that. How do you feel? Do you want to leave? And I think our job as coaches is to just ask more questions and to get more out of them and then reflect the, back to them and really just say, okay, this is what you're saying. Is that what you really want? I think honestly, the more we talk and process out loud to someone else to listen, mm -hmm. when they can reflect back to us, it gives us like, we have all the information in, in our, inside ourselves. Like, you know what to do. Ultimately, we have that inherent knowledge. We don't need to go outside ourselves to get that. But sometimes we need to say it out loud to process it and have somebody repeat it back to us in a way like kind of spun around through a different perception. So we can come back and go, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds right. Or that doesn't sound right. That doesn't feel right. So I, I really think as coaches, we're, it's not our job to like make the decisions for people. It's our job to just reflect back to them and help them make better decisions for themselves. Yeah, totally. We always tell our coaches that you are the expert in nutrition and fitness, but you are not an expert on Bob yeah. or Susie or whatever. And I think the most powerful thing you can do for not just coaching clients, but people in your life is make them feel human. I remember, uh, I, and I learned this moving in at 20 years old with uh, Jill and Jade in North Carolina. And I just remember like, go, I was going through stuff that pretty much every college kid goes through in America. And I remember like being super nervous just talking about it. And the, you guys just made me feel so normal. Like mm -hmm. a ton of people go through that. Yeah, I've seen that before. And they, they came out just fine. And it was... Because I think a lot of us, we just feel like we're the only ones. So no, one else can, no one else gets it. No one else understands. Like, And then we have friends who, when you finally do say something, they go, that's <gasps> fucking wrong. Right. You're the only like, one. Oh, I can't believe that happened to you. Or I can't yeah. believe you did that. And you're like, okay, I'll definitely never tell you every, right. anything ever yeah. The yeah. Fuck again. Yeah. No, exactly. So I think the most powerful thing we can do to each other is be like, we're all human. And that's I hate that. It's like a cliche. Like, it's kind of cheesy, but... Uh, you guys made me feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a regular human who makes mistakes and figures it out. And then I actually brought that to my personal training. I was like, I may know a little bit more about visceral fat than you, but I got, I got flaws too, and I don't have all the answers. So it, you do kind of approach it as a, as a partnership in, in coaching anyway. It's so that. good. It's just, it's so nuanced, but it is, it is a practice to your point. And the good news is what I'm hearing from you is that it can be taught or it can be learned which is cool. So what are some, I don't know, what are some books, resources, people to follow that you would recommend if someone's listening to this and they're a health coach or they're a personal trainer mm -hmm. and they're going, you know, I really, you know, want to help my clients be more compliant. I, I can tell my clients are lying to me or they're falling off the face of the earth or um, I know that they want better results and I feel like I'm not really aligning with my clients appropriately. What can I do to boost my skill set? Oh, I got resources for days. I got books for days. <laughs> I know you anyway. do. I don't know that I have people to follow per se. Um, you guys probably have more people to follow than I do, but I'll shout out a couple books. Uh, my guy, John Berardi, his new book called Changemaker is very good. Uh, it's a whole like start to finish, like how to be a fitness professional, but the stuff on, on coaching, keeping clients accountable, phenomenal. Uh, there's a book called Crucial Accountability. The authors slipped my mind, but that, that book rocked me. And because I was actually reading it not for my for my coaching practice, but for uh, people in my lives, like setting boundaries and holding them accountable, and 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 holding myself accountable as well. Um, I think that's a great book. 
might as well shout out Tiny Habits. Some will love it, others will not so much. But it, it's a good. But there's there's a tons. But I think those two by Berardi and then Crucial Accountability and Crucial Accountability. I, I'm looking it up. Carrie Patterson go. and Joseph Grinney. Yeah. So they wrote a book called Crucial Conversations, which mm. is also phenomenal. It, it can These get a little technical. These both look really but. good. I'm looking on Amazon right now. The subtitle of Crucial Accountability is Tools for Resolving Violated Expectations, Broken Commitments, and Bad Behavior. Mm-hmm. So Shoot. good. Wow. It's juicy. Yeah. I, I highlighted that book and my highlights were meaningless because I highlighted the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really like that. And then let's hear about your book. Yeah. Tell us what the book is. How can we get the book that you co-authored? You can get it. Next Level Tribe, Danny Coleman and JTD. You can get it on Amazon. Shameless plug. And uh, we just recorded the audio book, which is cool, uh, but wild experience. I'm going to tell everybody real quick. This is, this is wild. So we went into a studio. We self-published it, so we just hired a, a studio to for the day. We were like... I felt like Dr- Drizzy Drake in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so we went in and our book is pretty conversational, but I guess a lot of people have a hard time reading the book out loud. One one thing that was really hard is that you don't read out loud. You read in your head, right? So if you skip a word or you skim a, a sentence, like you just keep going and you, you retain you the, the information. Yeah. But when you're reading the book, every single word needs to be enunciated and, and really articulated strongly. Otherwise, you got to read the whole thing again. And then you have to breathe properly. Otherwise, you get through a page and you get really dizzy and you're like, what am I reading right now? <laughs> so it was, it was a really hard experience, but that would be on Audible probably in about six weeks. Okay. Amazing. There's Next only one track. Amazon review. So I've read the book. I got to add a review here. So you guys, if you get it, leave Danny and Jade a review on Next Level Tribe. I think that's the ebook. I think we got a little more on the actual book. Oh, is it? Which can be confusing. Okay. Apparently. I'm going to have to... Dig a little more on Amazon. Yeah, we shouldn't have people digging for positive reviews. Yeah, no. They should be out there. They should be out there. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. The last question that we always ask our guests, and I don't think we've asked you this actually, so maybe we don't ask all our guests because you've been on three times now, (laughs) is this is the Best Life Podcast. Yeah. What does the best life look like for Danny Coleman? And does everybody get stumped with this question? No. No. No, they're like, oh, my best life is X, Y, and Z. What, yeah, what are you what doing you, when you're living your best life? How do you define best life? You what do you define it yourself. Then? Go I'm with just, your gut. How do you define it? My best life. I would say my best life is when I have the autonomy to choose my day-to-day activities and spend my days with people that I, that I love and enjoy. If I had those two things in a single day, that's a great day. And if I had those days over my entire life, that's the best life. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for being on. Make sure you guys are following Danny at, at it's Danny Coleman on Instagram. Uh, make sure you check out his stuff, give him a shout out and send him a DM. Make sure you guys get the book and let us know how you like this interview. And if this is helpful for you, if you are a coach, did you take away any nuggets and make sure you guys grab those books including Next Level Tribe. You're the best. Thanks for having me, guys. See you guys soon. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.